You're listening to a Make Mom Proud Project. Oh, (laughs) I'll be honest, team. Rogue One is not a frequent rewatch for me. Rogue One came out in December of 2016, which was the same month I was officially diagnosed with bipolar 2 disorder, the same month Carrie Fisher passed away. Rogue One, love it though I do, takes me back to that time in my life, so I don't re-devour it the way I do, for example, The Last Jedi. So imagine my surprise and delight and heartache when I rewatched it last night and realized how much I had somehow forgotten about Chirrut Imwe and Baze Malbus. I had forgotten about the banter, about the easy fondness. I had forgotten about the handhold and the near face caress at the moment of Chirrut's death. I had forgotten about Baze adopting his partner's mantra as he strides forward into the final moments of his own life. Why am I not reading fanfic about these two all the time? Why don't I have fan art of them plastered all over my walls? Listeners in the Galactic Republic, if you have recommendations, please hit me up in the comments. Do podcasts have comments? I still don't really know how this medium works. I don't need luck. I have you. I mean, my weak gay heart. Welcome to Star Wars Made Me Gay. I'm Danny Hurd. Here we go. fun new friend Sutton Lee Seymour. My first question, Sutton, how are you today? Hello. Uh, <clears throat> I'm a little, I'm good. I'm rough around the edges. I feel um, I was making some unhealthy choices last night with uh, with uh, a nice bottle of vodka while I was re-watching uh, Rogue One and literally screaming uh, at the movie because I too have a lot of issues with it. I don't re-watch it often and yet I was still able to find um, um, valuable things to take away. So, uh, in short, I am very well, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so glad to hear it. Before we bust into Rogue One, um, oh, I'm so excited to talk about this movie. Uh, could you just give us a little introduction, sort of who you are, what you do? Tell us more about yourself, if you please. Oh, sure. Uh, so, my drag name is Sutton Lee Seymour. Uh, and for those of you musical theater fans out there, that is a play on the song Suddenly Seymour from the musical Little Shop of Horrors. Um, I grew up loving musical theater and Star Wars. And so, becoming a musical theater drag queen in New York City who has a love for science fiction, it doesn't seem, it seems, it seems weird and on brand, especially when it's a musical about an alien taking over the planet. Um, uh, I work <laughs> in New York City. I work in Provider, Mexico. Um, I've, if um, you've been to a musical Mondays in New York City, it's likely you've seen me perform there. If you've been on an Atlantis cruise, you've likely seen me uh, performing on there. I've been very lucky uh, being able to perform as much as I have been. And uh, I'm just very, very happy to be here with you, Danny. We're so happy to have you here. And oh, goodness, just. 
I, I just, not Star Wars related, but just my heart yearns for the idea that maybe one day soon again, we can go places. I would love to see you perform in any of these wonderful places. So I hope we can do that soon. You know, I do believe there is light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, it's just been a long, dark, dank tunnel to climb through. But we'll get there. Oh. We'll get there. <laughs> what a mood to get into Rogue One. My goodness. <laughs> I think it's the right mood. I think it's the right mood. I agree. Now, before we get into Rogue One proper, I am curious. I always ask everybody, um, do you remember how you first got into Star Wars? Like, what was your entry point? So uh, my first, my first like actual memory of Star Wars, I, I, I remember the Ewoks, of course, um, when of I was course. a little kid. I just I remember images of Star Wars because my my older brothers were obsessed with Star Wars. They grew up when the movies came out. I was born in 1984, which I think was the year after Jedi came out, Return of the Jedi came out. So as a toddler and as a little kid, I remember seeing images of the Ewoks and just being obsessed. And uh, my mom and I, when I was old enough, which I think was like nine or 10, we watched the whole trilogy. The sci-fi channel was playing the entire trilogy uh, that day. And we popped in a blank VHS tape and we recorded it with the 1990s commercials included. Um, so that is my first memory of watching Star Wars, um, watching the whole series in one day with my mom on the sci-fi channel with some gloriously disturbing 1990s commercials. <laughs> Do you happen to remember your favorite of these disturbingly 1990s commercials? Oh, golly, you know, okay, I remember not so much the commercials, but like the stingers uh, between, like when it would go into a commercial break, be like, Star Wars will be right back. And then seeing a mother in the kitchen with, uh, you know, bounty, you know, stuff like that. So that, that, that's pretty much what I remember. <laughs> Fair enough. Well, oh, did you, did you see Rogue One? I, you're a Star Wars fan, so this is a silly question. But did you see Rogue One in theaters when it yeah. came out? Yes, I, I I did see it in theaters. I remember it, I remember having fun. I remember leaving the theater specifically thinking that this this kind of movie should have been the kind of movie we got for the pre, uh, the the prequel trilogy. I think mm. uh, when we went, I remember thinking this is what I was kind of expecting the prequel trilogy was going to be because it was a return to. Uh, a war-torn galaxy. It was a return to, you know, super high-tech uh, science fiction machinery, but that was worn and torn uh, and not the CGI polished BS that we got in the prequels. I think the prequels have good qualities to them, but it was just so clean. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? Um, Absolutely. I, I, I similarly prefer a, a grungier looking Star Wars Right, Like I, something that feels lived in and something that I can reach out and touch, which I agree, I never really felt about the prequel trilogy. Exactly, yeah. And uh, even though there were wars happening in the stars in the prequel trilogy, it didn't feel like a war-torn galaxy. This it really felt like, oh, this is the galaxy far, far away that we're familiar with. So I remember feeling that. Uh, I remember, I mean, the the hard thing about this movie is... The big takeaway at the end, the one thing that everybody leaves the theater talking about is the 
famous Darth Vader scene at the end. The, the last two minutes of the movie, you have Darth Vader tearing everybody apart and the uh, CGI Princess Leia saying, hope. And that's mm. all people talk about, right? And so all these characters that you fell in love with and got to know, you you kind of suddenly forgot about them. You for, and I felt like that kind of, I'm jumping ahead of the game here. I'm so sorry, but that no, was- No, go I, for it. But that's kind of what I took away is like, we fell in love with these characters and they all tragically died. They had to, to you know, further the story of Star Wars. Um, but even though it was cool seeing Darth Vader, it also kind of took away the story we just watched about the rebels who really- um, took you know started the actual rebellion who kicked off the rebellion um and as we go into it there I've, i made some um analogies to it that i oh i can't wait to talk about i can't wait to talk about i it cannot you. wait i i had a similar experience in that when i sat down because i saw it multiple times in theaters had a good time and when i sat down to re-watch it last night i clocked for myself how much i had forgotten and I agree with you. I think it's because, and even though I appreciate the famous Darth Vader scene, I appreciate that connective tissue. I I wish it ended somewhere different. I wish yeah. it just ended with that whiteout um, as Jin and Cassian are holding each other. I kind of wish that's just where the movie ended so that we got to linger, like you say, on these new heroes that we've come to love over the course of these past few hours. Um, yeah. And to get to honor the experience that this is their story and not just because it's not a, a member of the prequel trilogy. It is its own Star Wars story. And those heroes, I think, deserve to stand on their own and not just be the entry point to a character we've already seen and we already know we're invested in. Right. Um, and that did not strike me in the theaters quite the way it struck me rewatching last night. So I think that's a really interesting point like I, that darth vader scene is super cool but i kind of don't need it uh, right and yet if you don't have it it's just a tragedy i mean it is so tragic and um I'm, i watch i remember watching interviews uh with the director um and kathleen kennedy uh and he was saying that they were afraid you know we have to kill off all these characters but now this is a disney property but i don't think we can do that and kathleen kennedy saying no it makes sense for the story kill them off great <laughs> you know it makes sense and i i appreciate that because i mean y y these characters deaths are mean something and then you move into the original trilogy and the people getting the glory are leia are luke are han solo but what about Jin urso what about cassian you know it, it like these these people matter because they were the ones who made it possible to destroy the first death star oh oh i'm getting into it so sorry <laughs> no get into it i i warned jake before we started this recording um, I think just before you hopped on the call, this might be the episode where I cry. I had so many feelings watching this movie last night that I don't remember having when I saw it originally in the theater. And I think part of it, um, just going back to the introduction I gave, I, I have had various points within, especially the newer Star Wars content, where I judge I have been a little emotionally blocked from really living the story in the moment and from like needing too much from Star, like needing Star Wars to fix me and to coddle me. 
Um, but Rogue One doesn't do that because it is so tragic and dire and urgent. It is not a Star Wars movie that holds your hand. And I think that's why I have resisted returning to it for so long. Um, but I was I was enamored last night rewatching it and remembering these characters and feeling so sad that we don't hear their names again. Right. And in I, the original trilogy, you know? Um, so so let's that's all to say, like, let's get into it. Let's dive I'm, in. Let's whatever you want to talk about. I am down. Well, I, I, since we're on this topic, it, it I was pulling parallels because, you know, the they made this movie simply because in the opening scrawl of A New Hope, they say, you know, rebel uh, rebel fighters got the plans to the Death Star. And that's how they made the movie. That's why they said, let's make this movie. And then we never hear about these characters again. So that's why Rogue One happened. I love that. So you have this information um, that, okay, rebels got plans to destroy the Death Star. Who are they? We got them. But the people, I want to go back to talking about the glory of Luke and Leia and Han Solo. And yes, their fight really uh, brought the the fall of the Empire. But that we never hear those names, Jin Erso, again. And we never hear the name of, of Cassian again, right? And um, it makes me think about the Stonewall Riots, diving right in. Because I remember growing up hearing about the Stonewall Riots, um, not really knowing what they were, not really knowing who started the fight, but I knew that this event really mattered in the history of the LGBTQIA uh, community, right? But it wasn't until, I would say, a, a few years ago that the name Marsha P. Johnson really didn't become uh, a household name in the queer community. People knew who Marsha was, but until recent years, I don't know how well her name was known. Do you know what I'm saying? And Absolutely. I think that, and so watching Rogue One again through a queer lens, that, was, that, that struck me. That really struck me because this movie, at least in my mind, and people are to disagree with me, this movie was basically the Stonewall Riot for the Star Wars franchise because without the battle of, oh, what's the name of the planet? Uh, where they um uh, uh scarif yes the battle of scarif that is pretty much that felt like to me oh this is like the real first stand of the rebellion uh and i was really trying to pay attention to the beginning of the movie the rebellion it's a mess they can't get organized they're not communicating well together um and it was really this event that catapulted catapulted the rebellion into like a serious serious movement and that 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 struck me last night. That it hit me. I had never thought to really watch this movie through a queer lens and make those parallels, especially when you have gay-friendly characters um, uh, who are uh, the, the character by played by Donnie Yen uh, mm -hmm. and Riz Ahmed. You know, so that was my big takeaway from this. I don't know how you felt about that. No, I think that's the. Sorry, that that comparison and that point is blowing my mind a little bit. Oh. Um, I the thing that struck me, I think, the most rewatching this from a queer lens outside of the relationship I've already mentioned, which I can't wait to talk about because again, I was just like, how did I forget this was here? 
why aren't we talking about this all the time? Right. Um, like as someone who spends a lot of time in like, for example, like I'm I'm on Tumblr all the time and I'm just like, where? Uh, and I found the fan art of these two this morning. Don't worry. Um, <laughs> there's some beautiful stuff. Um, but there's um, uh, something specifically, uh, there's a, I'm going to misquote it, but there's a conversation between Jin and Cassian. And we kind of keep coming back to this idea that Jin despite all the hardships she's gone through, that she still sort of has the luxury of not having political opinions, that she has the luxury. And again, as someone who is struggling and who is, and who is impacted by the evils of the empire, that she still can kind of choose to not be part of the fight. Right. And right. that really struck me. And I, I, I have not, I have not eloquently crafted yet sort of exactly what it means to me. But basically this idea that even within sort of a, a larger marginalized community, there can still be people who have the option to sort of hang back and maybe not engage in in a fight sort of capacity. Right. Um, so that really struck me last night. And I'm, I was wondering if anything about that, again, I feel like it comes up a lot between Jin and Cassian. Um, and I wondered if that had hit you at all as well, and if you have anything smarter to say than I do, because I'm still kind of wrapping my head around it. Well, I think, do you know, I think this movie, one of the flaws of this movie, I think it suffers from a really rough and terribly paced first act. You know- Oh, agreed. You know, you're you're in the flashback of her being rescued um, by, Ooh, I'm blanking on every character's name right now. On uh, your no your, worries, Saw Guerrera. She's being rescued by Saw Guerrera's character, and then all of a sudden, you're on the prison planet where K2SO, uh, brilliantly played by Alan Tudyk, uh, rescues her. We meet Cassian in an alleyway for some reason because there's information about this new machine that can destroy. A like you're all over the place. You're all over the place. So already, like there's this chaotic feeling watching this movie, and maybe that's the feeling that they're going for. But in terms of getting information about who Jin Erso is and what she stands for, wh why is she in prison in the first place? Why does she need to be rescued? Uh, and why is she being rebellious to the rebellion? The big takeaway that I took from last night watching is she is kind of uh, a, a distorted version of Luke. And then if you think about her father, Galen, is also a distorted version of Darth Vader. Let me clarify, because look at Luke Skywalker. He wants to join the rebellion. He wants to fight his path. He's clear on his path. Jin, not so much. Both of them have fathers who are greatly affiliated with the Empire. Darth Vader being Luke's father. Spoiler alert. I don't know if people know. Um, <laughs> also, Darth Vader is one of the leaders of the Empire. Galen Erso created the freaking Death Star. If there was no Galen Erso, there would be no Death Star. However, he doesn't agree with the Empire, even so, though he designed this weapon of mass destruction, he wants to help bring it down. So that's what I was kind of taking away. There is a weird relationship between those parallels. That's kind of what was striking me. Um, so I think they created Jin Erso to be not necessarily an anti-hero, but not being specific on what she was supposed to be fighting for because maybe there's a sense of guilt that her father created and aided and helped the empire destroy 
many planets and kill many lives. You know what I'm saying? Um, Absolutely. So that that's what was striking me watching the film again last night. And now she's being thrust into a fight that she didn't ask to be involved with, with uh, a Han Solo type character, the very delicious, very delicious Cassie. And I just adore him. Um, so so it, it's, it's muddled and it's confusing. And it's not really until the second act of the film does it make sense like, okay, what is our plan? We are going to go get the plans from the father. We're going to stop the Death Star if we can. So it, it's muddled. It's very all over the place. So. I agree. And I and even in rewatching it last night and, and having a really good time, I ultimately still felt that Jin's conclusion to, to kind of join up that conclusion felt uh, a little rushed to me. And I, I think I agree with what you're saying. I think the first act, because we have so many characters in this movie, right. there's so much planet hopping and quick introductions. We don't really get to sit and live with anyone's kind of experience and personality for too right. long. So whenever anybody has to change for whatever reason, mostly Jin, I think in this case, um, it, it it doesn't always feel earned how she gets there. Right. She feels more like there are actions happening around her. And until like three quarters of the way through the film, she's the one who's deciding that I'm going to take action. So she's a character where things are happening to her and she's not, and she's just experiencing it. She's not the one causing uh, the action happening, which makes it hard when you when that's your protagonist, who's just kind of. I don't really want to be here. What are you supposed to do with that? You know? Um, and that like, and I think there are plot points that we totally miss. Uh, like with Saw Gerrera, I think Saw Gerrera is such an interesting character and we really only get him in that muddled first act. Um, and Forrest Whitaker gives a very bizarre, but fascinating performance. And he's really some, a rebel who is a, he's a militant. He, he's on the same team as the rebels, but there's a militancy that they don't agree with. And I love that he sees the need for change, but then he's killed off in the first act. And it's disappointing because I think, Oh, that's a missed opportunity right there. Um, and there's whole this whole plot point with there's a, a rogue pilot who's defecting and no, it, it, there's that. Do you hear how confused I am right now? Because there's a lot of pieces that were not given to us as audience members that um, that just feels that feels like we're not getting a clean story. Absolutely. Well, I, I think the movie does such a good job, like you say, with Saw Gerrera and Bodhi Rook, I think every character who gets introduced on their own, it's like, oh, I want to follow this story yes. for days. Like a, a defected pilot for the Empire. That That's a whole movie. And I wanted saw Guerrera as this extremist uh, rebel who was sort of broken away from the main rebellion. That's a whole. Um, yes. So I almost, I mean, and again, obviously by the nature of what Rogue One is, we can't have it. But, like, I would follow, I mean, I'm excited we're going to get the Cassian show I know. Um, on Disney+. Plus. Maybe we'll get to see somebody else come through. Um, I don't really know how. I mean, K2SO, the, the brilliant Alan Tudyk, I agree. Mm -hmm. I, I love that performance so much. Oh, yeah. um, but there's just, it, it, I struggle because I wouldn't get rid of any of those characters. But I almost wonder, I'm like, oh, if we had one fewer, would there have been time to learn more about 
who they are and why they're doing what they're doing. Um, The movie feels so, it's, it's so urgent from minute one that we just don't. And again, I think that's a product of that story. So I, I almost hesitate to label it any kind of criticism, but it means, but we just don't get to, to live with anyone and, and learn more about who they are. There's no time to breathe in this movie. Right. I think they would, this came out and I think in 2016 before Disney plus uh, came out, this story would have been benefited uh, a, a mini series like WandaVision. Like, <gasps> you, Oh you, yes. You can take your time. You can, you can meet Bodhi, the defecting pilot who meeting Galen Erso and being talked over. This is what the empire is doing is wrong. We can see that relationship. We can see him going off, trying to find Saw Gerrera. Maybe we could get an episode of Jen Erso and find out why she's in a prison in the first place um, and get more fleshed out scenes and more character development. That's what this movie really, um, suffered from was just a lack of character development because they wanted to rush to the action because we have to get the plans and everybody has to die so we can get to a new hope you know that that's what it felt like it just it, i agree with you it felt really rushed but would have benefited with a mini series i love that idea and i really wish now that maybe this idea had not been pitched until the disney plus days so we could have had I mean, how the WandaVision how version of Rogue One. What a what a concept. I mean, who knows? Maybe they'll go back and do that with the um, the Cassian Andor um, series a little bit. I know they're going to go into his adventures, but maybe as the series winds up, maybe we'll get a little bit more of that and ties into Rogue One. I think that would be cool. So I'm I'm more excited to see a little more Alan Tudyk because his one liners, his sass, like it, it's borderline drag queen right there. That's what I think. <laughs> oh, I love that. Yeah, he's uh, just. I'm trying to of think the- of um of specific line now. Oh, the my my favorite. I mean, even from the beginning, when he grabs Jin, when they're rescuing her, grabs her and throws her to the ground, says, congratulations, you're being rescued. And just this, it's not even snarky, but it's so dry that you're just kind of like, that's hilarious. (laughs) But there's also a human element where he says, you know, do you know the, would you like to know the probability of her using that blaster against you? It's hot. I'm telling you. Very high. It's basically, he's basically saying, girl. <laughs> he's a drag queen. I Alan- desperately want to see the K2SO drag number now. I, oh. I want it. I judge I need it. Don't tempt me with a good time. I'll put it together. <laughs> Look, I'm just, I'm just floating that out there to the universe. Um, if you choose to go down that route, uh, let me know when the show is, and I will be there in the front row. When we can do live shows again in New York City, you're going to be there, Danny. <laughs> oh, thank you. I can't wait. Um, let's see. What, what uh, broadening back out for a second, what else in, in rewatching this from this specific queer lens, was there anything else that maybe hit you differently or struck you for the first time? Because um, I, this, I really, the experience of watching this felt like one of the gayer Star Wars experiences I have had. Well, yeah. I mean, I think I, you know, I just wanted a little bit more of Donnie Yen's character. And I, I mistook it earlier. The the character. So Donnie Yen plays, um, how do you pronounce his name? Chirrut Imwe? And, I believe it's Chirrut Imwe. Um, and Jang Wen plays Bay's uh, 
Malbus, and those yes. those are the characters you talk about. The you know the gay fan fiction, right? The those two, are my the, boys. The blonde, the, exactly the blind uh, force fighter and the gunman. I, when you said that there was fan fiction about them, I listen. I've never been interested in reading fan fiction, but now I want to read all of that fan fiction. I don't. I didn't realize how much I kind of needed um, a gay. Star Wars romance until these two came into my life on screen um, because it's just so simple. It's so beautiful. They're bond together. It, there's whether it's love or just a really strong friendship. Like it's, it's, it's beautiful. And I, I think seeing characters like them who are masculine presenting, who are, um fierce as hell and also not afraid to joke around with each other be tender with each other be vulnerable with each other i think that is the kind of voice we need right now i think we're moving into a world where if you're big buff and masculine it's okay for people to be vulnerable there's such a fear of vulnerability in this world that i think explains why we have so many problems um, because we're just afraid to be vulnerable. And I think these two, especially in the last moments that we were talking about earlier, is just a beautiful and vulnerable moment. I, I, think we're, I think we are capable of it as human beings, but I think we're still afraid of it. And I think seeing characters like these will help melt, you know, the, the, glacial masculine toxicity in this world just a little bit and hopefully they'll gosh be i hope you're right yeah. uh, because that's that's a great point they are these they're these two badass fighters um ma masculine presenting and they are so soft with one another yes. and and again whether it reminds me of um and actually i was not surprised when i did my tumblr digging so my not Star Wars, but my number one ship in the world, the 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 pairing that gets me through my dark days is Aziraphale and Crowley from Good Omens, which again, oh. two seemingly male-presenting beings, um, mm -hmm. not quite as badass um, as Chirrut and Baze, to be fair. Right. Um, <laughs> there's no explicit... Um, physical intimacy presented in the series there's no explicit i love you but the depth of i don't need luck i have you uh it, it's sort of like the um the to the world moment in good omens and i was not surprised to find fan artists that i really enjoy in the good omens fandom had created work for cheer it and bays i was like oh of course there's overlap here yes. um because I think what was also beautiful, um, something something that I'm learning more about in fandom and specifically about like queer ships that I think mean a lot to people is the idea that we can potentially see so many different variations of ourselves in these characters. So on the one hand, I think it can be frustrating, for example, that Disney is probably not willing to let Cheer It and Bays kiss. Right. But then what a potentially, because they are still so soft and tender and kind of romantically coded, what a potentially beautiful example for an ace relationship um, or like maybe an arrow viewer who has not had that kind of representation. So I feel very torn between 
dating and burying your gaze and what's an open-endedness that means so many factions of the queer community can potentially see sides of themselves in these relationships. And I feel, it feels like a tricky line um, because there's been some, there's again, a lot of discourse about this in Good Omens fandom, Um, not to turn this into a Good Omens podcast, but just, um, I was struck by a lot of the same thoughts in considering this couple today. I mean, it it goes back to writing, doesn't it? You know, sometimes, it comes back down to writing. So you can, any writer can write for a character, I love you. But it's far more interesting um, for characters to express their love, not necessarily through words, but through the actions. You know, So you know that these characters care about each other deeply and they don't have to say it. And I think that's far more interesting. And I think that's what you're getting at, right? With uh, your characters here in Rogue One and your characters in Good Omens. It's not necessarily words that say, I love you. It's the actions. Mm, yeah, it's the show don't tell policy of writing. I think you're absolutely right. Exactly. You, listen, you can watch Tom Cruise say, you complete me every single day, but I'm still not going to buy Renee Zellweger saying, you had me at hello. Like, that's just not <laughs> interesting. That's not interesting to me. I want to watch, I want to watch the tension. I want to see the release. I want to see the passion. And I think you get that in various colors through uh, these characterizations. So I, 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 I hope, I hope they get a spinoff series themselves one day. I. I yearn, I pine, I dream. That is the spinoff series that I, until rewatching last night, I would not have told you was the one I wanted so badly, but I think mm-hmm. is the one I now want the most. Yes, I, I honestly, there's something, Donnie Yen is such a handsome actor, not to make it all about physical appearance and all that, but there, he's just so focused his performance and i think that's why his performance is so good just because he's uh he's just so focused and he's confident in everything he does and it's a confidence that i yearn to acquire one day because he can just live his life and i love that he's a character who happens to be blind but his blindness um is not it doesn't affect his personality it doesn't become um a deterrent to who he is as a personality. And I think that also bleeds into um, their relationship, whether it's queer or not. You know, they don't confirm, but they also don't deny it, do they? They sure don't. They sure don't. No. Um, speaking to Donnie Yen's physical beauty, because similarly, not, not to objectify anyone, but we have also kind of touched on the beauty of Diego Luna. And I would oh. like to submit that this is just the most beautiful Star Wars cast. Yes. Like, and- my god but like and it is be and it's beautiful there are beautiful casts but they're also beautifully diverse and i think that is a big part of the beauty of it i love that you have actors from all over the world um and their acting is brilliant and they're it just goes to show that you can you don't have to have a whitewashed cast to uh portray beauty you know what i mean absolutely absolutely hollywood we know you're listening I know, I think they're listening, but they they can they can speed it up a little bit. You know what I'm saying? Agreed. Uh, I, if we could kind of get that ball rolling a little faster, that'd be great. One day we'll get there. We'll get there. We're gonna get there. Well, maybe in our of, lifetime. <laughs> what was that? Maybe in our lifetime, we'll find out. Oh, I, oh, I hope so. Oh my gosh, <laughs> I can't I can't keep relying on fan fiction. I love it, but I'm 
I, I'm so desperate to see something on the big screen. Huh. Um, <laughs> So, so to that to that end, I, I this feels a little connected. But another question I like to ask: If you could, let's say you become a Disney exec tomorrow, oh and you have power to to make any any Star Wars character canonically queer, like mm. who do you choose, and and sort of who like who are they in your head canon, and why? Oh man. Okay. That's a, that, that's a deep question. And there's so many answers. Dang nabbit. Okay. You take your time. So <laughs> what you're asking is what any Disney character in any, any franchise, whether it's like a Disney. Oh, I mean, specifically Star Wars. I apologize. Specifically Star Wars, specifically a Star Wars okay. character. I, if you could make them queer, uh, can, canonically queer. That's an SAT word. Um, that, oh golly. Um, let me go through this. Let me think about these characters for a second. Let me do a deep dive. Um, all right. I think that there is a tension, a love, an unspoken desire between Jabba the Hutt and his assistant Bib Fortuna from Return of the Jedi. And let me tell you why. Jabba Please the tell Hutt, me why. Because Jabba the Hutt, and maybe it's not necessarily a sexual love for each other, kind of, but maybe I, I there's 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 a there's a um there is a tension between the two of them because Bib Fortuna, who is the the guy in Jabba's palace who's got this the slithery are tentacles from, coming from his head and all i remember him saying is they wanna wonga that's all i remember him saying but then i remember did you watch the mandalorian i sure did and then you saw and this is a spoiler alert for anybody out there who hasn't watched the spoilers on uh, on the mandalorian but at the end of the second season uh have you watched you've watched it all i'm not going to spoil anything for you no i am good go for it Okay, cool. So, like, there's Bib Fortuna in, in Jabba's palace, and apparently he's taken over the Empire. And here is someone who's just kind of usurped his way to the top. And I, maybe it was not a romantic love between the two of them, but maybe, just maybe, he used his sweet talking to Jabba, whispering in his ears, making him feel so good about himself. And maybe this is just my own past romantic history that just, you know, anyway. Uh, but, like, to help him <laughs> move up in the world and uh because i find jabba do you know what i'm attracted to confidence and i'm attracted to power uh and that's just my dark side okay that i'm owning that um and uh i've seen people in higher positions uh that i was like oh i i covet that i'm i want that and i'm going to put myself in a position so i'm just in their life right uh and I think that's Bib Fortuna. And then there's Jabba the Hutt, who, because he he gives no flying beeps. You know what I'm saying? And that's sexy. I think, there, if anything else, confidence is sexy. Um, and people are drawn to that. So I, for some reason, because I'm disgusting, I would like to see these terrible characters just fight for power. And in that 
fight for power, maybe a deeper relationship, a deeper bond, not necessarily romantic, not necessarily sexual, but I would like to see their relationship together because that's what I'm interested in. I'm obsessed with this and I am going to find you this fan fiction if it exists. <laughs> so don't worry. I'm going to search for this as soon as we're done recording. <laughs> because like that's it's that's what Star Wars is. It's all people, political powers trying to fight against each other, but also trying to uh, tickle each other's egos. So they remain in power. And, and it's I think it's fascinating. And also, but that whole world, the 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 crime world is not a world that we really get to explore in the Star Wars universe. Can, if I can, like in, in Solo, which was a terrible movie, the first act, you meet this giant slithery worm in the underground world of the crime world that Han Solo comes from. And, and that was like the most interesting thing in that movie. And then you never see it again. I want more for, of the, the, the unspoken of crime world of Star Wars because I think it's so insidious and so spooky and 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 mystery mystery turns me on too mystery okay. and people power <laughs> what a what a good personal ad mystery okay. and people in power those are um. my turn on <laughs> i don't know what that says about me <laughs> <laughs> well i wonder just going back to the mandalorian Yes. I wonder if in the Boba Fett series, if we're going to get more of that crime world, because it seems yeah. like we could definitely be living in that space um, um, within that series. And I'm very intrigued. Oh, wait, I have another one I want to see now. I, and I want this to be romantic. I want to see Boba Fett and the Mandalorian. I want that relationship. I want that. That should <gasps> be the first answer. I want them to like go on more adventures together. And I want them to like fall in love. Yeah, that's what I want. <laughs> that's the that's like the sexy read. That's the sexy show. The job of the hut, Bib Fortuna. That's more of like the political intrigue power because I find that sexy. But the if I want like a sexy good time with Star Wars, I want Boba Fett and the Mandalorian to like all of a sudden like have a very broke back mountain. That's there it is. There's your Star Wars broke back mountain right there. The broke back Mandalorian. Yes. Oh, oop, oop. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh man. I have my own Mandalorian ship and I stole it from Twitter. Uh-oh. And there's logistically it does not make sense, but um but Din and Luke Skywalker as space dads to Grogu makes me like it's so soft and it makes me want to cry forever oh. and I want them to hold hands real bad. Oh. Oh, that is kind of sweet. And but then Boba Fett is the third wheel. <gasps> yes. Oh, yeah, we can make all this work. We, we, Danny, we are creating some good content here. Okay, so, because <laughs> yeah, I love the idea of Luke and the Mandalorian, Din Djarin, I forgot his name. I'm terrible with these names. Um, Yeah, because that that's the tenderness. That's like, that's your, you know, your tender love right there. But then there's something really dangerous about Boba Fett and like also something really sexy about Boba Fett that Din just can't resist anymore. Oh, that's a love triangle I need to see. <laughs> Why? Why isn't this happening? Again, I'm going to go hunting for it when we're done. And if I find anything, I will be emailing you. And I hope that's okay if we become fan fiction pen pals. Um, because you're delightful and I'm having so much fun talking to you. <laughs> well, I'm having a blast. Yeah, I, you know, I, I've never kind of dived into the world of fan fiction, but you might have, uh, you've might've changed me, Dan. You might've changed me. I don't even know what Tumblr is. I just got MySpace. So 
<laughs> well, we're getting close-ish to the end. So I have one more like huge giant question for you. Sure. Um, what sort of, sort of the, the central question of this podcast, what, if anything, does it mean to you to be a queer Star Wars fan? Like, where is that intersection for you if there is one? Do you know, I, I, I've been trying to um, think about this since, since y'all asked me to come be a part of this. And I, I guess I've never really, I've never really affiliated my queer life into Star Wars. I just saw characters and a story that I really, really loved. And it wasn't until watching Rogue One and I started like hitting the Stonewall parallels, you know, this event created a new hope and created the original trilogy. And th that was the first thing that really hit me. Um, so I, I don't know how to answer that question because it's not something I've really thought about because for me, it was an escape for two and a half hours. I could put on empire strikes back, which is my favorite by the way, or I could put on any of the other movies and just turn off my mind. Um, especially when I was young, I came out when I was 14 years old. And uh, and my coming out experience was overall fine, uh, but not without its challenges. And my home life, it took my father a while to really adjust um, his own emotions to my sexuality. And so when I was home, I was always either looking for an excuse to get out of the house or I would lock myself in the basement and put on Star Wars and just for two and a half hours, just not worry about the world around me. And so that's, that's what it was for me. It gave me peace of mind. It gave me, it gave me hope. Um, mm. So I hope that answered your question. It does. Thank you. Again, I know that's like a, a, a big, big question, but I'm just always curious. Um, and thank you for sharing. That was a beautiful answer. Well, thank you. Sutton, I know we're we're still, as of the taping of this podcast, we're still closed down, but where can we find you on, on social media? What are you working on right now? How can we stay up to date with your adventures? Um, right now, so in the social media world, uh, I'm on Instagram at Sutton Lee Seymour, S-U-T-T-O-N-L-E-E-S-E-Y-M-O-U-R. Please don't follow the Sutton Lee Seymour in Houston, Texas. She stole my name. <laughs> And I am going to force choke her. Anyway, that's dark. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, suddenly Seymour on Instagram, on Facebook. I have a my my writing partner. Her name is Cacophony Daniels. She and I have a few episodes of a a, a short lived uh, talk show that we had on YouTube called Drag Queen Talk Stuff. And if you just want to see two drag queens talk about everything and nothing for a solid 20 minutes an episode. Go to YouTube, look up Drag Queen Talk stuff. Follow me at Suddenly Seymour. Follow Cacophony Daniels. Uh, we talk about theater. We talk about movies. We talk about um, family life. Uh, it's a lot of fun. And then when the world starts back up, um, I, I've got dates in P-Town, in Provincetown and uh, Saugatuck, Michigan coming up. So if you're in the Massachusetts or the Michigan area, I will be in your state this summer, maybe in a parking lot. We'll find out. <laughs> oh, all right. I just followed you on Instagram, so I'm ready to keep up with with all your exploits. And hopefully well, I can see you in a real space or a parking lot sometime in the future. 
we will get there. I believe it. And I, I think I think Star Wars right now is a great or a great series of films to watch, especially Rogue One, because at the end of the day, all you really need to see is Carrie Fisher looking at the camera, just saying hope, because I still think we got it. I think we got hope. Yeah. Oh, what a and and on that note, uh Sutton, thank you so much for being here. Oh, this is this conversation has made me really, really happy and kind of makes me want to already rewatch Rogue One. Right. Um and you didn't cry. We didn't go to the crying place. And I'm <gasps> I'm actually grateful for that because I my goal is never to make people cry. I want people if if I make people cry, it's because I made them laugh that hard. So <laughs> <laughs> that's lovely. Well, that's uh, friends in the Galactic Republic in the Outer Rim. That's another episode of Star Wars Made Me Gay with our new friend Sutton Lee Seymour. Happy, uh, I believe this episode is coming out on May the 4th. So happy May the 4th. I hope you're doing something nerdy and fun and Star Warsy today. And may the force be with you. Have a wonderful day. Be kind to yourself. You're doing super good. We love you. Okay, bye. <laughs> From the Make Mom Proud Project, this is Star Wars Made Me Gay. I'm your host, Daniel Hurd. This podcast is produced by Daniel Hurd and Jacob McKee in conjunction with Jake West and Ding Dang Studios. Edited by Jacob McKee. Associate produced by Austin Jeter. Original music by Brady Dunn. Cover art by Joshua Hudson. Special thanks to Maddie and Peter Lopinto. Star Wars is the exclusive property of Lucasfilm Limited, a subsidiary of the Walt Disney Company. Ding dong.